Welcome to the Kingdom Life Podcast from All Saints Community Church. This is where we talk about all things related to life with God in His Kingdom. My name is Connie Willems, and today I'm talking with Caleb McCain. You may know Caleb and his wife Sophia from seeing them and their three kids with us on Sunday morning. Caleb is a counselor, and I wanted to talk with him today about how he is experiencing seeing God heal people, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Welcome, Caleb. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Good to have you. Um, My goodness, I feel like this is going to be a rich conversation, but before we get into it, Introduce us a little bit to yourself by telling us, if we saw you at age 12, for instance, what would we see you doing? Oh, wow. Um, So I was probably a pretty fiery 12-year-old and (laughs) uh, running amok all over the place, struggling at school in some ways. Hmm. Um, And so some of the things I encountered at 12 would have been... um, a lot of activity out, activities outside, and when I was in school, it was a, more of a struggle during that time. Uh, was dealing with dyslexia, and that was coming to the forefront uh, for me. And then experiencing um, just probably some elements of isolation, if I'm really reflective about that um, isolation that was going on. Uh, the dyslexia kind of changed my life, my course of school, where my friends were older and they were kind of moving on. And Mm. so I would be behind a little bit and have to make those connections with friendships socially along the way. And of course, 12, I felt really odd. Yeah. Felt really odd. (laughs) Uh, that was also true in the church setting within our youth group, feeling odd or the outcast mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, um, wanting to do things right. And so that was a, a huge part of 12, thinking about what's right or wrong, but also coming into um, my own and maybe uh, experimenting with language and all those things that 12-year-olds deal with and emotions. And it was a roller coaster for sure. <laughs> As 12 would be. Do you have any memory of what you thought about God back then? So my background was cessationalism within the Church of Christ setting. And as I thought about God, I knew he was there. There was a sense, uh, if I reflect on it now, there was a sense of presence. I wouldn't have had the language then. But there was a sense of presence that he was always there um, and that he would hear my prayers uh, it was most certainly a one-way communication line where I could talk to him and the only other receptacle part would just be receiving um, scripture or maybe uh, my grandfather, uh, who was very influential in my life at that time, uh, being somebody who could speak scripture into my life. or um, He had a gentle gentleness about him as a grandfather, maybe not as a father, but most certainly as a grandfather, that I got an experience that brought um, a connection Mm -hmm. to who God is. And so I think uh, God was there and present. He was a huge part of our life. But 
he wasn't necessarily as active yeah. as maybe I, I most certainly experience him now. So the fact that you said it was a one-way thing makes me think at some point it became a two-way. Absolutely. What was what happened? Um, so when I was 14, 15 years old, uh, there, there was a dream that I had. And when I woke up, I felt the fear of the Lord. Hmm. And what I mean to describe the fear of the Lord would be um, in the middle of the night, this waking dream, um, the presence of God was so thick, it felt like I shouldn't even exist, that I should be gone. I shouldn't live because the presence was so strong. Not that I wanted to kill myself or anything to that extent, but the presence of God was so strong that uh, there was no space for me. That's what it felt like. Wow. And you woke up and you knew what it was? Yeah. Hmm. There was an angelic person in the dream. Hmm. So um, there was a kind of a description that went on in the dream. And then when I woke up, I knew it was from God. Um, And I knew our family was a little bit different in the Church of Christ because we we knew that God did things. Hmm. And we knew that he'd answer our prayers. Um, so we would get on the couch sometimes in hard hard times as a family and pray. And then even at the end of the prayer, as soon as we said amen, the phone would ring and an answer would happen. Wow. Like that, it was incredible. So uh, we knew that God talked through dreams somewhat, but we didn't use any language about God communicating with us or um, that he would tell us through dreams. We just said, we had a dream last night. I wonder what God's saying, or I wonder huh. if I wonder if this is something that God might be revealing to us. So the idea that God might do that in a dream wasn't strange, but that's a powerful dream. Yeah. What did you do with that? Wow. Um, so that dream, I, I, I meditated on it over and over. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is this? How am I? What does this even mean? Um, and shortly after having that dream, I had persecutory dreams for the next four years. You had what kind of dreams? Persecutory. They were very, people chasing me. Okay. Uh, people, um, trying to kill me. Like a persecution type. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And that was happening, um, almost every night for the next four years Mm -hmm. and sleep dwindled to about three hours a night for my high school my high school time was three hours a night, waking up, couldn't go into, couldn't go to sleep, or if I did, I would have these dreams. Um, but I would always come back to a peace in the morning, and, and that God would show up there, and I was trying to get more insight about who God was. And of course, I did that through pouring over the scriptures. So. Yeah, yeah. When you look back now, what do you think was happening in that season with you and God? That's an interesting question at this time because um, this was something that I felt was even revealed this past week huh. that uh, God opened up a door and mm. the enemy tried to take over Wow! With, uh, with a little bit of torment during that time, maybe some insomnia. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember what helped close that door? So... Um, when I came to college, um, I was still having some dreams, but they weren't as often I was starting to get the sleep. Um, when I got married, the dreams stopped, at least huh. for me. Yeah. But my wife, Sophia, she started having the dreams. Oh, great. 
<laughs> so there was this, <laughs> and I knew it was a spiritual thing. I knew there was some connection spiritually that it transferred over. And she started having them for about three years. Wow. And it was, uh, it was something that we didn't really know what was going on or our authority or our role in that. We just knew something was happening and we we're trying to figure it out along the way. We were still in cessationalism. Yeah. Um, so being in the Church of Christ, uh, but there was something in me saying there's more mm-hmm. constantly, that that pooling of the heart that kept saying that there's more here and you need to go down this path. Wow. I can just imagine somebody going, that's me, what do I do? So I'm just going to stop and ask that question. If somebody's like, hey... That kind of stuff is happening to me, mm-hmm. and I haven't had anybody to talk with about it. What would you say? Wow. So to make this more of a concise um, path for somebody versus what I went through for mm-hmm. years, I think the first step would be learning to listen to God mm-hmm. and just being able to hear from him, my sheep hear my voice, being able to step into that place where they're saying, hey, I'm going to do what I call listening prayer. Um, In counseling, we call it stream of consciousness. But when we have the Spirit of God in us, and He dwells in us, and we have the mind of Christ, it then becomes listening prayer, and we're not the only one in our thought process, and we recognize that, and then we start hearing that. So um, even now in the practice, taking people down this path of uh, listening prayer and that being the fundamental aspect of being able to break through a lot of hard things, uh, enter into a lot of healing. Hmm. So it's almost as if there's this open door of torment, and mm-hmm. the way to close it, what you're saying, is you're not directly attacking the door or the torment. Instead, you're going toward listening to the goodness, to Jesus. Absolutely, Connie. Um I think for a long time what I would do is try to shut the door Hmm. myself. And at one point when I was learning how to hear from God, I just turned and I said, God, I'm so exhausted. I've been doing this Mm -hmm. for two years. I've been trying to pray these prayers of of the enemy. You have no place here. I bind you up. All of that content. Hmm. I was praying that for two years and it felt like every morning— I had to start over again and do the same prayer in the same fight. And I asked God one day, he's like, why is this so exhausting? I thought it would be easier. You know, your, your yoke is easy and light. Um, and he says, it's because you don't replace it with me. Mm. And as soon as I received that word, that changed the whole outcome of, of spiritual warfare for me is that uh, spiritual warfare isn't looking at the enemy and telling him to back off. I think it's very much that that Jude uh, passage where Michael turns to Satan, the Lord rebukes you. Mm. It's not I. You know, the context would be the Lord rebuke you, and it's that oneness with God that brings us to a place of um, just hearing God step in. And if he says something, it is. It is. And I can trust that. Yeah. It's almost like I was seeing that statement, it is, and there's a period after it. Just, it is. Absolutely. (laughs) So back when you were in the middle of those prayers and you heard from God and saying you're not replacing it with anything, what shifted then for you after that? 
So God and I went down to the path where he was showing me to replace things with his character. Mm. Um, we can go down to the, the spirit, the fruit of the spirit or other, other concept of who God is within scripture. And I would take those things and I would say, okay, that what I'm experiencing right now doesn't seem like peace. Mm. So, God, what does your peace feel like? And I would ask those questions. I got into the habit of asking God stupid, silly things like, <laughs> which direction do I go? What do I clothe my body with? And it wasn't because that's I needed the answer from God. It was a habit-forming uh, experience, which brought me to a place where um, I, I was just wanting to be with him. <laughs> and it changed. That's what changed is knowing that he was so accessible, he would speak at any moment. Hmm. So this habit-forming experience, you entered into it, mm-hmm. but then the outcome was falling in love, it sounds like. Absolutely. Huh. I fell in love after that fear experience. Huh. I wanted more of him. I was so hungry. Like I, I, it was insatiable. I could not stop. And I was pouring, uh, like I said, I used the terminology pouring out scripture because it will bring me back to that John chapter 5. Um, and this, this is that break from cessationalism for me where uh, you pour yourselves out over scripture trying to find life, yet they point to me. Mm. something had to change um, that the word of God was much more than scripture. Scripture was the count, the account of uh, who God is. And it pointed to Jesus all day long, but it wasn't the word. And that experience of experiencing Jesus as the word, constantly refilling my heart Mm. every single day, I, I haven't looked back. It's been um, a journey. And I would say that in the process of hearing from him, the first thing he said to me, and it was two years of this over and over repetitiously, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. It wouldn't stop. And I was like, God, am I even hearing from you? And he he would say, yes, you are. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it was constant. Like this undercurrent that's just... Always, Hmm. always there for two years. What did you think of that? Well, <laughs> I, at first I thought I was a little bit, uh, this is just all in my head. Ah, Like, am I really hearing from God? Is this just my consciousness um, constantly playing this pattern, this recording? But the truth was, um, you, you started when I was 12. When I was 10, I remember a moment where I was praying to God my family would be better off without me. Just kill me mm. now. Just kill me now. The thought process internally was not love. Yeah. It was, I make too many mistakes. I just disrupt people. And really that's a part of the, the spiritual gifting that I've now know to embrace and how to engage it. The spiritual gifting of making mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you said? <laughs> well, to some extent, uh, anytime there's there's a hardship, there's probably a spiritual gifting that's that's huh. right behind it, huh. or or that um, we find out in our lives that there are these hard places, and we say, "Why is this so hard for me? It doesn't seem like other people are struggling with it." So in grad school, I was uh, getting out of the sensationalism, and a man came up to me. And he said, uh, he was one of the other counseling students, and he says, 
wow, Caleb, you've changed so much. You're not as abrasive as you once were. To be honest, I felt devastated. (laughs) Well, yeah. I was like, (laughs) I'm not as abrasive. I was abrasive? What do you mean I was abrasive? He's been noticing I was (laughs) abrasive? (laughs) Everybody thinks I'm abrasive, apparently. That's what I felt. Um, And it was probably tied in with a little bit of condemnation. But all these little elements kind of gave way to an understanding about the spiritual gifting. And I did have a moment. Um, That dream when I was 14 came back up in grad school. Mm. And in one day, uh, I had a call from my brother, and he says, you're a prophet. And I'm like, what? He goes, I need you to inquire of the Lord for me. I'm like, huh? And I'm just kind of bewildered. Of course, I'll pray for you. I'll see what God says, or I'll try to hear from God. Um, The next day, I mean, we're talking about probably 10 o'clock at night, the next day, nine o'clock in the morning, first class. And a guy just walks by, I really respect him. And he says, Caleb, the prophet, out of the blue. And my, my skin just felt, I felt shock wow. come over me. Um, and then before nine o'clock or 10 o'clock that night, we were at somebody's house and I was telling them that dream from 14. And they said, a lot of what you're seeing there refers to you as a prophet. And all three of them lined up. And I said, okay, God, if you're saying this over me, I have to embrace what you're saying. I'm not going to deny it because then I'm calling you a liar. And to say I'm not would be a liar. But this is so hard to embrace because that's outside my world wheelhouse. I just don't understand. So at that point in time, I had to start understanding what a prophet was and the gifting behind it. And what I learned was that prophets struggle with criticism. They struggle with sharp strong tongues. They struggle with cutting people down and not meaning to. And it started making sense out of my life. Mm. All the hardships that I encountered, and now I can look at where God's taking me and say, oh, the gifting's always been there. It just hasn't been refined. Mm. Okay, God, show me how to refine it. When you look back at that experience at age 10 then, you see that as the unrefined prophet gifting in action against yourself. A hundred percent. Like Jeremiah, why was I born for this? Or burning in my bones. Having those experiences and knowing like there's something there, but there was a lot of shame encounter along the way. Lots of shame. Yeah. If somebody's going, oh, huh, I wonder, maybe this hardship is connected to a gifting, what kind of questions would you have someone ask to kind of help surface that in themselves? Um, It would be exploration, self-awareness of what hardships have you gone through through life? Where do we see that in Scripture? What does that tell us about what God is doing with you? And so we would go down that path. And oftentimes somebody will come up with something and they're like, wait a minute. You know, I took all these uh, spiritual giftings, but that didn't ever come up. Or all the spiritual giftings pointed to that, but I didn't know why. Hmm. And so we do, we kind of allow it to surface up with God in the process. It's better that God tells somebody versus me. Yeah. The conviction lands well. Yeah. Why do you think he spent two years telling you he loved you then? <laughs> I asked that question. I did ask that question. 
Uh, he said, you didn't believe it. Ah. You didn't believe you were lovable. Um, he, you didn't know that I loved you so much. So after the two years of hearing I love you, it went into I'm with you. Hmm. And I hear that often now, is I'm with you over and over and over. Is it like a background? It's the background. It's the first experience. It's the good morning greeting. I love you. I'm mm. with you sort of thing. I love you. I'm with you. What has it done to you to mm. have these background, I love you, I'm with you, playing in your mind? Oh, man, that's a great question. There's research that was done in the 1980s. It was replicated in the early 2000s and to see if there was any difference over time. What the research study was is it was looking at people's internal dialogue. And it, what it says is 80% of the time a person's internal dialogue is negative. So um, it's so interesting. I ask almost every client this, um, how often do you hear in your thought process you statements or the mm. second person language? And I'll have some people, oh, I don't hear that. And they'll come back the next week and say, it's all over the place. I hear it all the time. The background noise yeah. that people aren't aware of. And so um, I would say for me, before the God encounters of I love you and I'm with you, there was so much condemnation. There was so much shame. It was repetitiously, you're not worth anything. People, again, people would be better off without you. I entered into marriage with that thought um, that I'm, I'm too much hmm. and I'm creating too much havoc in people's lives. I don't even know my place. Uh, but the, the language oftentimes would come up as you. You don't know. You're worthless. And it was accusatory constantly. I'm going to ask you the, what is the source of that question? What do you think? Is it? Are we wandering into yeah. all kind of territory? Here? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, so uh, a phrase I, I love to use is um, crazy people believe there are no voices. <laughs> Insane people hear voices, but they don't know what to do with them. Now, the sane person hears voices, and they know what to do with them. So uh, those you statements, like the crazy people who don't realize that Satan is whispering into their ear all day long, accusing them, um, that's why they're crazy, is because they think they're the only ones in their thought process, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Um, when we get into really knowing that our thought process is a battlefield. I love that. What was it? Neil Anderson. He would say the battlefield of the mind. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, our thought process is a battlefield. That means that there's more than one person on the field. Hmm. And typically there's at least two. And what are they fighting over? Well, if my mind is the battlefield, they're fighting over me. And so 80% um, of the time people's thought process is negative. I'd say mine was 95 and I would actually say that most people is higher than 80% of the time. It's the way that they were trying to record some of this data that they were getting. Um, I would tell you today that my thought process is positive. It is God-focused probably more than more than 90% of the time. Like I'm mm -hmm. hearing positive affirmations. I'm hearing something good. And it's not ego egocentric. It's most certainly God-focused. 
uh, but it's relational. Like yeah. the language is relational and it's positive. So it's from a person to you, not kind of generic language. It's customized to Caleb. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what's really interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking of different people I've talked with about mm-hmm. hearing God and they'll come in and they'll say, and I'll say, so what are you hearing from God about that? And they're like, you know, I think I'm just hearing that he loves me. Mm-hmm. And I started to notice that I get this response regularly of, but I think I'm just making that up and telling myself what I want to hear. That is so common for the people that I see. And it's, if, if they were hearing correction, they would have accepted that it was from God mm-hmm. of what they needed to do differently right? and what they needed to change. But because it is just simple affection, they feel like it's too good to be true. The Father starts with affection. Mm-hmm. The Father starts with affection. Uh, my relationship with my dad was, a, it was a struggle because he, he is a wonderful man. I mean, he is a godly man who loves mercy, and he would hand that out freely to people. When it came to the family, it was harder. And so his time was so precious, but he would spend four hours with somebody talking about some, some deal because he was an entrepreneur. Um, and that could happen at a drop of a hat. And we might set out to do something, and that would happen f- within five minutes into our task. And w- I wouldn't see him for the rest of the afternoon. Um, so father was kind of, I, I always thought of God as father, but I didn't. There was, again, going back to shortly after grad school, there was a connection. So John Eldridge's book, Fathered by God, made a huge impact mm-hmm. on my life. And when I hit, um, I, I got into a place where sensationalism was fading. My parents didn't know what to do with it because we're Church of Christ. This is what we do. Um, it was fading, and and I needed... I needed my dad to show up, but God said, don't reach out to him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to father you through this. And I'm reading this book. I'm going through it and the content, and I'm learning to listen to him as father. And uh, just to be a little colorful and honest, I mean, I was working on a car, and Mm -hmm. I had to change the head gaskets. And this is a deep job. And my dad, was uh, his trade was a mechanic, and uh, I couldn't call him. I'm I'm Mm. trying to rely on God as father. And he was working with me through things. And I was at times frustrated, throwing tools. Where are you? You said you're going to be here with me until the very end of the age. Like scripture was flowing through my mouth, but I was trying to find him in the process, in the experience. With a wrench and head gaskets. Or with a wrench and head gaskets and... (laughs) It, <laughs> those it, those cam those cam sprockets <laughs> or the sprockets for the cam shaft. I'm just like, oh my goodness. So God was he was being a mechanic with you. He was absolutely like God knows everything, and I experienced him there as a mechanic, and he showed up and I felt his provision. He says, take a deep breath. So it wasn't just it wasn't just mechanic. It was how do I function as a skill set. He was leading me through the bodily a process of being that person who could be a mechanic. By helping you physically shift into a different place from throwing a tool to doing something else. A hundred percent. 
A hundred percent. Like the, the experience of, of him coming inside and saying, okay, you'll get this. It's going to take a little bit more. Let's get a new part. You can spend money. I didn't, we didn't have money at the time. You can spend this money. You'll need this tool. You'll get this done. And it was the encourager, the comforter. It was the, the one who was guiding me. I was not an orphan alone. I, I had a father that was with me. Holy Spirit was constantly speaking to me all the time during that process. And that was a covenant marker in my life mm. saying, I am your father. Like the words that I heard in my heart now I'm your father. Yeah. Hmm. It strikes me, this is getting all prophetic on us here, but people so often um, in those kind of hearing God circles will talk about cars representing ministries. Yes. And so I love it that literally God said, I'm going to walk you through how to fix the engine of your ministry. That's great. Good reflection. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. I've never put that together, and I, I'm taking that one. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. became a covenant, mm-hmm. you know, like a, well, stake in the ground to change the image, yeah. but this place of going, no, that was real, and there was a before and after. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Tons of healing for my heart. Tons mm-hmm. of healing. Did you know it when you were going through it, that it was a healing thing? Um, you pass these mile markers... And you recount the mile marker as you pass it. Mm. And that's what, you know, that's what it was for my life is something passed. I'm like, whoa, okay, this is a good experience. And then as I reflect on it, more revelation would come. I mean, I I feel that's true in in all, um, all of our testimonies. The more we talk about them, the more revelation comes and how God answered prayers a hundred different ways for a hundred different, different spots of my heart that needed to be healed. I'm almost picturing just a wall of testimonies and each one has a spot yes. on it of a place of healing. I feel like when I've talked with you that God has, I don't know if you feel this way or not, that God has granted you a gift of healing hmm. in a way that I look at and go, okay, that's unusual because you are working with people's hearts but you've also seen God heal physically yes, and spiritually. What's it like for you to be on the kind of the, the front row seat of getting to see God do that? Humbling. <laughs> Why do I get to see this cool stuff? So um, the physical healing I thought I would be just overwhelmed with. Um, what I have found is that the healing of the heart is so much more beautiful. And I feel more impact from the healing of the heart. But as you've said, I've experienced people physically, spiritually, emotionally healed in the office, outside the office, but in the office, oftentimes. And it's been incredible. And I'm just in awe that God would do this in the office that I'm sitting in. (laughs) Of course, it's his office, but I get to be a part of it. How is what you're experiencing now, this is going to be like a test question, how is what you're experiencing now similar to or different from what you learned about counseling in grad school? Oh, (laughs) I was just uh, on a call with somebody who's going through uh, their grad school program before I entered the door, entered into the door today. So 
I ask that question too <laughs> of myself. Um, sometimes I don't know that I'm doing something different than what other counselors are doing. And then I have my peers around me or the people that I work with. They're like, this is completely different. And, and they'll often say, I didn't know we could do counseling this way. This is, this is fun. Hmm. Or I'll have the person say, um, do you take this home? And mm-hmm. it's a, no, I don't. In fact, what I do take home is the testimony. This being the heaviness the of what heaviness, you, yeah. the, the, um, the clinical aspect. Um, so being able to see the difference, it would be, yes, here's the theories, here's the clinical aspects, um, of, of what we look at in personality disorders or, um, what we can expect in development changes and things like that. When it comes to God, we're no longer looking at pathology, but we're looking at a shift from pathology to say, you're experiencing something. Now, how does it line up with the kingdom of heaven? What is God doing through this experience that is actually for his glory and yours as you partner with him? That's where the counseling the counseling setting changes. No longer am I looking for people to um, diagnose. Um, and oftentimes I even think this is like, as soon as they get that label, oftentimes that label is incurable. Mm-hmm. This you is what you X. have to cope out. Uh, you, yeah. you have to cope with this for the rest of your life. That's not the way of God. The way of God is fully alive. If I'm coping, am I fully alive? That's the question I have to wrestle with every day when I go to the office is, am I teaching people to cope or am I teaching them to see their life in Christ fully alive, constantly being reformed into him in the sanctification? When I see the sanctification hit, I know healing is happening. Say more about that. So uh, for me and, and my story that we went into, hearing from God opened up my heart completely. It, it's, um, it's still a process, but there's so many things that I experienced through him just hearing his love for me. So in the, the counseling office, when somebody has the encounter of hearing for, from God, and then they trust that they're hearing, like the James chapter, it says, <laughs> ask for wisdom and believe that you're going to receive it. Well, the wisdom is, God, would you help me? Can I hear you on this? And he speaks wisdom to you. You have to believe it to step into that fullness of life. And so um, I see somebody, they ask God, okay, uh, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, uh, what do you want to say about this? What do you want to say about who I am, my identity first? And then what do you want to say about the situation that I'm going through? When that happens... I see people's just their eyes open wide and then that flesh kicks in. Hmm. But what if this is just my mind? What if this is just the thought in my internal dialogue? Why wouldn't God speak in your internal dialogue? Can you hide from him anywhere? So why wouldn't he be there? Yeah. And so if they say, yeah, that is God, then the next thing is the sanctification piece. Yeah. So what does that look like? So as, um, as they start hearing from him, they start seeing their life through his lens. Set your mind on things that are above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand. They start seeing their life where they're hidden in Christ. 
And that sanctification starts to transform. No longer are they allowing condemnation to come in, creating depression or anxiety. They're no longer allowing this guilt or this rejection to manifest in life. They don't live out of fear, but they're, they're starting to have a mindset of, wait, God is right here. He's fighting with me. He's fighting alongside of me through this problem. And I have his power. I'm not void of it. And sometimes I don't feel powerful in it, but he is. And that sanctification just takes over where they are being transformed in their mind saying, okay, I am who God says I am and I'm going to believe it. And so this is almost like Romans 12, one and two kicking in a hundred percent. Yeah. Where and it says be transformed by the renewing, renewing of your mind. Correct. Yeah. yeah. That you may prove the good and perfect will of God. That's the sanctification. And this is the scripture. Uh, scriptures are wonderful when we experience it. It's um, John seventeen three. This is probably the most profound scripture in, that I know of. Is uh, this is eternal life? I don't know anywhere else it describes eternal life. Mm. This is eternal life that you would know the one true God and Jesus Christ, the one He sent. I get stuck on that word "no," because that word "no" is in the very fiber of your being, and so you have to experience God. To have eternal life, eternal life doesn't start when you die because by definition, eternity is already here. It's that engagement that God is right here with you, and that's that transformation. The thing that the angels don't get a part of, that Paul writes about in in Ephesians 3, that um, the, the multifaceted wisdom mm-hmm. is given to the church, Um so that they will teach the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. That's paraphrased, but it's kind of close. But the the rulers and the authorities in the heavens, what is this? Mm -hmm. It's that they would understand God is inside of us, not just alongside of us. Yeah. And then how does all of that end up in healing? Mm. What is the healing that comes out of all that? Okay. It comes in multiple multiple ways, right? Um, the spiritual peace. It's like uh, oftentimes people have these blinders that just fall off. Hmm. Wait, I do experience God. Actually, he's been telling me a lot of things. And then God starts showing up where he's been in their lives the entire time. Or that even though they've had this trauma experience and he didn't shield them from it, that he was there, he was taking account of it, and he's going to restore things. And then their heart is strengthened with hope. Mm-hmm. Or um, when we get to the mental aspect, uh, that there's a realization, I'm in a battlefield right now. Mm-hmm. Like anxiety keeps knocking on my door every single day. But as soon as I continue to look at the covenant that I've made with God, what I'm actually aware of is that I'm, I'm creating a covering for my family fighting this anxiety. And then there's awareness that, that that fight is so important. And I can overcome anxiety. It's actually not mine anymore. Yeah. It's something that comes against me, and I have a shield that extinguishes the flaming arrows. Or... Um, the physical. This one's kind of interesting because this one's, this is one of the ones that I'm like, 
God, this is so intriguing how you decide to heal people. Oftentimes the heart or the spirit will take place first with the healing and then we'll see a physical manifestation in it. Mm -hmm. Somebody changing. Um, I've prayed over people in session. We start working on stuff and uh, I use a lot of neuroscience um, that talks about the body and how it's connected. And, And when it taps into that, they have this moment with God and then the pain in their back or their, their mm-hmm. shoulders, uh, it starts to fade away. It starts to go away. Sometimes that seems like a little lighter, but this was true for a person that I saw. Um, they had a significant ailment for seven years. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's interesting, right? The biblical number of seven. Yeah. Okay, so seven years they've had this ailment and... I just felt like God wanted them to know that the healing was there for them. And they were letting go of bitterness. They were letting go of resentment. They've, uh, they had, um, some crazy encounters with, um, persons that were practicing, uh, for lack of better words, I guess, or maybe this is the appropriate words, witchcraft. We went through all this healing and then there was a word that God gave me. I want you to go home and read every passage that you can about um, physical healing. They came back without their aid, their assisted device. Wow. The next session. And I got an a email from them to, it was a husband and wife, two years after I saw them. Mm-hmm. The healing's still here. Thank you so much. It was just like, God, you're doing amazing things. You're showing your love. You show off through, <laughs> the, through the healing of that spirit, the heart, and then it manifests in a way that this person wasn't even able to walk straight, then standing straight up. God is so good. He really <laughs> is. He really is. We have been to many, many rich places. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't go back and review all we've talked about, but is there something that is just burning in you that you're like, if people could remember this one thing, Here's a thing that I want to make sure. Hearing from God, really, like uh, the word of God is medicine mm-hmm. to our body. Oftentimes I hear people use that scripture and they put it in the terms of scripture is the word. I have this encounter that the word is what Jesus is. You know, mm-hmm. that John, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word. So... When I encounter the word, he heals me. If people could walk away today knowing that God is part of, is in their mind, he's a part of their body, he's speaking, he's inside. Um, he's, he's there in every aspect of the spiritual elements that, that we experience. And they could say, okay, what am I feeling in my body? as I ask this from God, and then start to notify those changes. Note them, say, okay, here's where there's a change in my life. I think that the Word of God will start and begin and continue to heal them over and over and rejuvenate their life daily, even if they come across ailments that um, emotionally or mentally their spirit's at peace because God's just right there saying it. I've got you in this. Yeah. I'm there with you. 
I love you and Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Yes. Could you close this by praying that Mm. for someone? Absolutely. Jesus, we are so grateful for your amazing sacrifice that paved the way, bridged the gap, gave us an avenue to the Father. And Father, we can come boldly to the throne and request um, anything that is necessary for the kingdom of heaven. And I just speak over those people who are listening that you have the Spirit of God in you and he's wanting more for your life, um, things that you can't even imagine, incomprehensible things. Ask for those things from God. Ask that his kingdom would come through your life and that you would have that fullness of purpose and that you could be aware of every movement. So I just speak that over you right now in Jesus' name. You're aware of every movement that he's doing in your body, in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. And uh, he's just so happy with his children Mm -hmm. as they come and turn towards him in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Thank you, Caleb. My pleasure. Thank you, Connie. That's all for today's episode of Kingdom Life. Thanks for listening. I'm Connie Willems, and thanks to Caleb McCain for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about All Saints Community Church, visit us at allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC.